Good day, friends. Hello, neighbors and beautiful ones, and welcome to Amplified Living Podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. John. Okay, it's a really a privilege to be here for you today in a world of turmoil. So whenever you are tuning into this podcast, currently we are in a corona, COVID-19 virus uh, pandemic, and uh, lots of people are fearful for what the future may bring, but they are feeling fear in their hearts uh, right now while we're processing all this information. So um, I thought I'd take an opportunity to dig in and answer some of the questions that come across from uh, people from all over. I've just had an interaction with a good friend of mine in the U.S. earlier today, and uh, yeah, he's afraid for his business and the unsurety of what that could bring. Look, I'm afraid for my business and the unsurety of what that could bring. I can feel it in my family and my bones. Um, so let's talk about it. Uh, let's uh, flip over to the questions. Just bear with me as I zip into things. And uh, I want to field this question about worry. Okay, well, let's just start there. And... Um, and talk about the friend that I, I chatted with just briefly. I didn't get a chance to really get into too much detail with him, uh, but he's basically saying, I'm a bit worried, and in two weeks, the corona, uh, coronavirus situation could be better or worse. We don't know, right? And mind you, in the moment right now in America, in total lockdown a, in uh, New Jersey, okay? So 8 o'clock curfew, everything's shut. I've got four businesses there that have completely shut their doors. Another one of my other businesses totally shut down their doors. My good friend's business shut down their doors. And, uh, and everything's suspended for now. Temporary, but still suspended. And he says, I'm worried that this will ruin my business. Whoa. It's a big, uh, it's a big worry. And, uh, and I would say, yeah, yeah, that's okay. You should be a little, a little bit worried. And in that worry, though, there could be some amazing gifts, and we have to go digging for those. We have to go digging in the dirt when there's nothing clean around us to find the gifts um, that this is presenting to us. Because I guess you have a couple of choices, right? You could choose to be the fearful one and do absolutely nothing, okay? You can choose to be the uh, hopeful one and, and start hoping that things change, or you could be an integrated one and you can just sort of jump into change. You could force change. So learning how to adapt in this uh, environment is uh, something that we all have. And, uh, and I know everyone's situation is different, right? And what we need to remember is, is that uh, I know and I trust, regardless of the kind of resources that you have in front of you, regardless of how much money you have, regardless of your situation that you're in, regardless of your net worth, regardless of your relationships, there is one thing that I know that you can count on, and that's humanity and your human nature. Because you as a human, as a thinking being, processing quantum DNA uh, just a representation of a ball of like fiery human energy, you are one resourceful badass and you have to remember that. Or, and if you don't remember that, what maybe you need to do and just say, close your eyes and go, you know what? I am a resourceful, resourceful badass. And, um, 
And sometimes telling yourself that and reminding yourself that you have the ability to be resourceful even if you have limited resources. Because resources and resourcefulness aren't interdependent upon each other, right? We could have a time like this where all of a sudden the resources that you normally had, where you're getting your money, where you're spending your time, who's paying attention to you, and so on and so forth, those seemingly important resources are torn away, but nobody can take away your resourcefulness. So we have to go back to that and access your resourceful nature. So actually, um, what I will do is, uh, is talk a little bit about the fear that is behind this, because worry is fear, right? And worry sort of wasted fear, because when you're worrying, there's no action, is there? You're just lamenting in the idea of possibility that something could happen, but it has not yet happened yet, right? And you're worrying that something's going to happen, and it's going to be bad, and it's not going to be the outcome that you were hoping for. True. So in a sense, when you're worrying and lamenting in it, it lacks one particular ingredient that fear could supply you, and that's action. Okay, so because fear has a tremendous amount of energy behind it, right? Fear is an energy sort of sensation in your body. And you could, you could at times almost interchange fear for the feeling of excitement. Because in your body, it draws energy up almost in a similar way. Behind the fear is the worry. And the worry is the thing that causes inaction, right? So fear can cause action. Worry causes inaction. And it causes people to withdraw. And, um, and hey, man, I've been like that before. I have been worried about different things. Uh, and there is a power in worry, too. Because you have to think, oh, I'm worrying. I shouldn't worry. No. What we need to do is kind of connect in and say, okay, yeah, I'm worrying. What am I really worrying about? See, because all this comes into questions. Remember this, the quality of the questions that you ask yourself on a daily basis directly related to the quality of your life that you're creating. So what we need to do is ask questions about that thing that we're worrying about. So when you're worrying, just think, oh, I shouldn't worry. Okay, okay, why am I worrying? What is it exactly that I am worrying about. And uh, one of my, um, and as a mentor, you know, one of my mentors, I don't know him personally, um, but uh, he's a mentor to thousands of people. And I tend to listen to Tim Ferriss quite often on this podcast. So shout out to you, Tim. I hope you get 10,000 more listeners in your podcast just from, uh, just from this little thing, little plug. Uh, but Tim Ferriss has something called, a process called fear setting. And I think it's brilliant. And fear setting is a process where you literally sit down and journal what it is that you are literally worried about, what it is that you were fearful for. So I've got my iPad in front of me, and why don't we flip to fear setting, okay? And we'll get back to the questions a bit later. Here we go. Fear setting is going to – here we go. Okay, so I've just got his little template up here, and we'll walk you through the simple steps. So if you're going to do this fear-setting exercise, okay, come back to this little uh, video, however you're watching it or listening to it as a podcast, and write these questions down. The first question is, is to define, um, list the worst things that could happen. So the question is, is what are the worst things that could happen? Actually, let's make it a little bit more, define that. Um, what are 10 of the worst things 
that could happen? What are 10 of the worst things that could happen? This way you've got 10 slots that you are needing to fill. If you come up with 20, okay, 20. If it's only nine and you can't get past nine, then nine. But for set a goal, what are the 10 things, the worst things that could happen? And then write them down. Because sometimes what happens is, is you don't actually have the fear well-defined in your own mind, but you're experiencing fear, and guess what? It may not even be yours. You could be experiencing fear of everyone else around you, but your own personal feel is quite different. Your own personal fear is quite different than everyone else around you. If you're watching the news, if you're reading the papers, if you're talking to your friends, you're messaging, talking on the phone, reading magazines, getting on Google, fear is, is, is fluttering into your mind, into your heart from everywhere. And many people onboard that fear, even if though that the fear is not their own. And then the fear becomes their fear, but they're not clear on what it is that they're fearful about. They just feel it because you feel the feel for other people. You feel, you feel the fear for other people. Hmm. Having a difficult time talking today. So I must be in fear. List the 10 things, the 10 worst things that could happen. Put them down. Think to yourself, what is one? What is another? Just write them in. Don't filter what happens in your mind. For example, you write, maybe you might get two things. The worst thing that could happen is, is I could permanently lose my job and have no money. The second worst thing that could happen is, is that I'll be worthless and my partner will want to leave me. The third, I can't think, third worst thing that could happen is, is I won't have a way to clean my underwear. Okay. You wouldn't, and then you'll think to yourself, now I don't need to write that down. That's just a silly fear. I'm here to tell you, write the silly stuff down. Just put it down. Oh, you could always go back and cross it out later. And actually, if you write the silly stuff down, it will give you an opportunity later to laugh at yourself, especially if you write something silly. Like that's really not a major concern. I could figure that out, right? Okay, let's move to question number two. So um, what are 10 things, um, 10 things that I can do to stop those above bad things? So what are 10 things that I can do to stop? And then this is the list of the, the 10 worst things, the thing that you just wrote down. What are the 10 things that I can do to stop those other bad things? Now, this is an exercise in creating what isn't. It's one of your uh, sage powers, right? You have this innate power. You have five sage powers. And one of the sage powers that are in your body, one of the things that make us great as humans is we have this power to innovate to create what isn't, and to make up through our imagination, to make up solutions that may not currently exist. That is what makes us rock star, badass innovators and people who can just adapt because we are resourceful. Remember what I said earlier? I am a badass, resourceful person. Now, list these things. Like, what can I do to stop the above things? And once again, don't filter your answers. Just write them in there. Put down the information and get clear. Well, actually, in the beginning, just write down. You don't have to be clear about anything. This is a thought exercise to get the thoughts out of where? To get the thoughts out of your head and get them onto something else. Once you remove them from your head, you'll go like this. You'll go. <sighs> you'll take a deep breath in, and that release, because it's no longer swimming in your mind without definition, it's all of a sudden on a piece of paper. 
Man, that is just freedom. Okay, let's move into the next one. So after you finish those 10 things, and it could be five, it could be nine, it could be seven, it could be 12, whatever. If the worst happens, how would you fix each bad thing? So the, fir the first question was list all these bad things that could happen. The second question is, is okay, well, before we, those actually happen, what can I do to prevent them from happening so I never have to deal with it? The third one goes, okay, well, my prevention didn't go well, and it actually happened. Can I fix this? And if I can, what could I possibly do? Get creative. Once again, access your imagination. You know, I always say in terms of imagination, it's one of the core skills that in my generation, and I think in this generation, even more than my generation, right, is the skill of imagination has been literally torn from children like this. You're in school. Hey, get your head out of the clouds, kid. Someone's dreaming, daydreaming, dreaming about who knows what they're daydreaming about. You don't know. You are not spending time inside that child's mind. But what are you, what are you thinking about? Why are you staring off into the distance? What are you daydreaming about? And, and often, well, now in, in this day and age, we feel almost the possibilities of what is possible in life are fairly open. When I was a child, that may not have been the case. Kid, you went to school. You, after school, you went to a, maybe another school if you were lucky. And after that school, you get a job. If you didn't go to college, you're going to work nine to five. And that's the way it is. Now, you have motivators, inspirators, people of leadership that go out there and lead people and show you that there are other ways to live your life. It doesn't have to be nine to five. You can create abundance in anything that you choose to do, provided that you love doing it, that you're passionate about it. And we see the examples of that all the time in life. So use this power of dreaming, imagination. Come back and access it. Don't let whomever's story who stole that, if they have stolen that power from you, let them steal that from you further. Get it back. Dream a little bit. And this is a great way. How would I fix this? What can I do to fix it? Even if you don't think it's possible. This is, once again, is remove the filter that is causing you from stopping to write down the words that you're thinking about. And it could, could have, in order to repair this, what I will need to do is get 12 jobs. Okay, cool. Write that down if that's what you really think. You may come back to it and go, I only need two. Or maybe I don't. Maybe there's a different way. I, I can cross that off my list. Okay, let's move on to the next question. The next question that you'll ask yourself or and the, the thought process, this thought exercise is to um, what are all the possible benefits from taking these actions? So listen, what are all the benefits from doing what you are saying that you could be doing to repair and prevent? Because you wrote down 10 things to prevent your problem. You wrote down 10 things to fix the potential bad thing that you think can happen. Well, that's 20 things. What are all the benefits? What are all the possibilities? And then just start writing them. Hey, you know what? If I was to get 12 jobs, I could probably find uh, extra cash and buy a new car. And everyone else will be driving crummy cars. Yes, I'm in. 12 jobs it is. I mean, it's extreme. We're not going for 12 jobs. But you get the point. The point is, is not to filter the thought process, not to squish 
your imagination, not to stop dreaming, but to get back into your dreams and make your dreams a, reali a reality. Okay, let's move into the next thing. Now, the next part of the fear setting exercise is projection. We need to project what life would be like in a time frame that's further and further down from where we currently are experiencing this and how we're experiencing and onboarding all the information that we just put together. Six months from now. If I wasn't to take any of those actions, that's prevention, okay, or repair, the fixing of the problem, right? Remember, the first 10, we listed what are these bad problems. The second 10 is, is well, what are things I could do to prevent those bad problems? So that's prevention, right? The next thing we listed was, okay, well, uh, I wasn't able to prevent them, but now what can I do to fix that? So now you have that re repairing, that repairing network where so I couldn't prevent it, now let me fix it. Okay, well, now let's project six months down the line. If I was not to do any of those 20 things, pre 10 prevention, 10 fixing, if I didn't do any of those, what would that cost me? During that six-month time frame, what would happen to my life if I didn't do this? Now, after this exercise, I'll explain to you why we have to think about fear setting in this way. Maybe you only list five things. If you have more, okay, write more. If you have less, okay, less. But this will probably push you. It'll be a little bit of a challenge to think about all the bad things that can happen. People don't like to think of the bad things. I know I don't. I'm an optimist by nature. So when I kind of look at things, I'm like, okay, well, where was the benefit? Someone says, someone gets... Someone else might be more succumbed to like all the badness and the, and, the, and the stuff that could happen that may not be so optimistic. And, uh, and I think, oh, yeah, maybe. I don't want to talk about that. I always want to go back to optimism. Mm. Okay, so then flash forward again, one, an, another one. Go one year down the line. What are the costs of not taking action during this time? What else will it cost me? So that's amplified. Normally, you got six months. Now I'm going to experience that in a year. That's going to be an amplified process. Okay? And then make the pain even more. Flash forward another three years. What are the costs of not taking action during this time? What will happen to you three, now? three years from now? Because in six months, you might say, six months, I'll be okay. I got enough money in the bank. I'll be able to manage myself. I'll be fine. One year, you might say, oh, I'm struggling. But three years down the line, you're going to see the real pain for not taking action. That's it. Fear setting at its best. Let me review those questions with you one more time so you can write them down. The first thing is to list all the bad things that could happen. Put 10 things down. The second step, look at those 10 things and say, well, what are 10 things I can do to prevent those from happening? The third step, Look at those 10 things again and say, okay, well, I wasn't able to prevent them. What are 10 things I can do to fix what has just happened? Okay? Once you've done that, list the benefits. What are all the benefits of me taking those actions? And that includes the prevention actions and it includes the fixing actions because they're different, right? So let's say you did 10 for each. Here, you're going to be looking at 20 actions, and you're going to say to yourself, wow, what awesome things happened because I took action. And then we're going to reverse the process. We're going to go back into the bad stuff, and we're going to say, if six months down the line, what is life like for me if I didn't do anything, if I didn't take any action? 
The next one's going to be, okay, one year from now, what are the worst things that are going to happen? What are the costs involved by me not taking action? And then finally, three years from now, what are the costs that I must incur from not taking any action? And write them in. Be as honest as you, can, as you can. And remember, don't filter your choices. Let's talk about uh, two things. Let's talk about the exercise of asking questions. And let's talk about the um, exercise of looking at the benefits and or the good stuff and the bad stuff, which we just did. See, the questions are the are the ground, the foundation for which you are building your life on. Because when you ask yourself questions, you're inevitably going to answer those. Usually you do. I mean, I do. If I'm the only one, then I need help. But I'm pretty sure that other people are constantly asking questions of themselves. For example, you had a big night. You had a big, big night. Really big night. You went out, had a few too many wines, a few too many drinks, a few too many something, and you wake up, and you wake up in the morning, you go, oh, I do not know how I am going to get to work. That's a question. And how often do you say that to yourself? Or you're pulling an all-nighter, and you think to yourself, I'm up all night. I don't know how I'm going to wake up in the morning. And then magically you don't. Or magically you do, but you're still not happy about it. So you still ask yourself a question. So look, even in that most basic example, we ask ourselves questions all the time. What I'm going to suggest to you is be a master manipulator of the questions that you're asking yourself so that thereby when you do that, you get masterful answers back. Because if you ask yourself a crummy question, which could you agree that it's a pretty crummy question, a low-quality question, saying, I don't know how I'm going to get up in the morning. How am I possibly going to get up in the morning? Well, that's a terrible question because how many different ways could you answer that? What if you change that question to, what are three things that I can do right now that, good c- that could give me the energy, the clarity, and the strength to get up tomorrow and do exactly what I need to do in the day? If you ask yourself that question, the quality of the question by itself demands a higher quality answer. So even if you didn't believe it, even if you thought there weren't 30 things that you can do, if you ask yourself the question, I'll come back to what I believe what you are made out of and you are one resourceful badass, you will come up with three answers. And you might say, you know what, what I really need to do right now to have the energy and the clarity and the strength to get up in the morning, I should probably drink a bunch of water. Oh, and by the way, I have those supplements in my my cabinet. I remember I was taking because I was detoxing my body and I haven't taken them in a while. I'll just take a bunch of those supplements as well. And and then the third thing is, is, um, plus, if I wake up in the morning on time, I have this awesome project, and, if I, and then by getting that project in, I potentially will get a promotion, and you see the benefit in that. And there are right three things. You've got two physical things and one mental, emotional thing that could potentially rock your world and wake you up in the morning. The point is the quality of your questions that you ask yourself on a daily basis, right? 
that sets the stage for the quality of life that you experience overall. Ask yourself better quality questions and you'll have better quality answers and I'm guessing better quality outcomes. And the simple way to do it is to give yourself a way to define the answer. Instead of an open-ended question like a how, ask a what. And um, to make it even better, um, ask a what and then give yourself, let's say, three lines. What are three things? What are five things? And like in the example of fear setting, what are 10 things? By asking a what as instead of a how, you'll find yourself more inspired and empowered to answer the question with more energy. And let's go into the uh, fear uh, portion of, of that whole conversation that we were talking about because you might think, why would I want to write down all the stuff that could happen? Well, people are motivated by different things. And if you can learn what motivates you, you could learn how to hack your mind and create outcomes in your own life in situations that people would think are impossible. By hacking your mind, you can create outcomes in those situations that other people couldn't possibly understand how you even did it. And here's what I mean. What motivates you more to, let's say, uh, I'm going to tell you, oh, if you lose 20 pounds, um, you will have more energy in your body. Or if you don't lose 20 pounds, based on what I'm seeing here on these pictures, you're going to die in two weeks. Now, those are extreme examples. I get it. I'm still asking the question, which one of the two would motivate you more? Now, as extreme as it is, depending on how you answer it, there are some people that answer is like, I want energy. Like, and by having that energy, I won't have death. I'm shooting for the energy. And then there's some people that are going to answer, you know, I'm okay with my energy right now. Energy, I get it. I don't really believe it. Uh, but I don't want to die in two weeks. I'll do whatever I can to not die in two weeks, prevent it. So to avoid pain. Okay, so learning who you are, what your nature is. I, I talk about natures quite a lot. Because we all have an inherent nature on how we operate that's different from each other. There are patterns, there are you know, tendencies that people have that are similar from one person to another. And these natural tendencies is what I call our nature. So... What is more natural for you? Is it more natural for you to move towards pleasure or to move away from pain? And that is something that if you discover that, you can use that technique to hack your mind. So in the fear-setting example that we did earlier, at the end, we listed all the bad stuff that could happen now in a year, uh, in six months, in one year, and in three years, right? And by listing that bad stuff, as uncomfortable as it is, um, that helps those people that find out and discover that their nature is to more often be motivated to move away from pain. Now, it's not true with everything. 
let's say, for example, myself. There are some things that motivate me to move towards a pleasurable experience. It could be I want more energy. It could be I want more abundance. could be I want more love. And then I may have those other things, which I definitely do, that I will do to avoid the pain. I won't do that because I think the end result of that will cause me pain. So I won't do it, and I'm going to do this. As a matter of fact, I remember as a child growing up, I would purposefully not do things I knew I was not masterful at so I could avoid feeling the pain of not accomplishing what it is that I wasn't masterful at. And I recognized that er, not so early in my life. It took me a long time. And I would have, so I would avoid, what, what was the pain in that? I would avoid having new experiences, developing new talents. And we could see, I could see that if I do a play-by-play play of my past, I could see how often that played out in my life. I'm afraid that if I fail, I'll be judged. If I'm afraid that if I don't do well, people won't like me. So on and so on and so on. And the end result is, is that instead of having those new skills and having those new experiences, I would avoid them at all costs. There, avoidance of pain. You could see how that easily motivated me as a child. And if we knew that, if you knew that is how you operated, even better, parents, listen up. How do your kids operate? If you know how your children operate, how much uh, more likely are you to um, be able to coach them to do the things that you know based on your experience that would be more beneficial for them and give them more experiences in their life. Well, now you can use those same tools on you. So if you know what your nature is, is my nature to move towards pleasure? Is my nature to move towards pain? Now you might say, well, sometimes it's pleasure and sometimes it's pain, and I agree. However, one will dominate the other. So in the fear-setting exercise, we're essentially kind of covering both bases. And, and by the way, if you really want to know, the majority of people um, are more fear-centric. So they are more focused on avoiding pain, so more pain-centric than they are pleasure-centric. They will do it at all costs to avoid certain pain. Now, you may see on the outside, oh, Bob uh, does drugs because he wants the pleasurable feeling of the euphoria that the drug gets him. Mm, not really. Not really. Bob's doing drugs to avoid his, the pain of his perception of life. Then by choice or by chance, the after effect is he's getting some kind of pleasure at it. But ultimately, it's usually likely to avoid a pain. Same thing with drinking. You know, anything that alters your state generally is the same thing. Mostly to avoid pain. Very, very rarely to give pleasure. At least not in how I see people. I could be wrong. But think about it. It's at least worth the thought. Work, work, worth the thought. So in the fear-setting exercise, you're going to kind of do both. You're going to list the benefits, that is the move to gain pleasure. And you're going to a little bit more than balance it out, obviously. You're going to do, well, what would happen? Bad things that will happen. So when you list everything and you get it out of your head and you get it onto a piece of paper, all of a sudden you become more empowered because it's no longer weighing down your nervous system. So as uncomfortable it is, man, I would sit down and do the work. If you have the fear, write that out. By writing it out, you're going to just have an amazing opportunity to open up. Okay, I think that's enough.
Let's work on uh, the next question. The ruin, we did the ruin my business. Mm, ah, okay, cool. I'm stuck at home in lockdown. Yes, you are in lockdown. And uh, with all the craziness, I'm not sure how to handle the stress. What can I do? Mm. You could do nothing, and then you're a puppet. And you're just a puppet, you know, playing a game. Yeah, here's a few things that I, I kind of would do. You got to do something. Even if it's the wrong thing, do something. Because at least that, that power of taking action then becomes one of your go-to modes. So don't sit at home and don't do nothing. Definitely ta ac take action. Even if the decision that you make is not the right decision, it's better than making no decision at all and not doing anything. Because you'll at least learn from it, you'll at least grow for it, and at least uh, grow from it, and at least you'll put something into action that could have a potential reaction later on that will bring you benefit. Because every action will cause an equal and opposite what reaction. And then once that reaction comes back, if you get into the habit of taking more actions, one of the actions you take is going to be the right action. And then once you get on the pathway of taking right actions, guess what? You're like a magnet for right actions. So once you take one action, it'll lead you to take it to another action. Just know this. If you take action, you make a decision, you decide to do something, and it was the wrong decision, don't stop taking action. Don't stop. Continue doing something. So when you get the feedback, push back against the feedback. Or if the feedback was great, expand the feedback and take more action. Okay, so what can you do? Like if you're stressed out, what can you possibly do? Well, I would say don't withdraw. I would say process what you're feeling. And as a matter of fact, I wouldn't run from the stress. Sit with it. Uh, so I was listening to an um, uh, interview with Jack Cornfield. So K, Cornfield with a K. Uh, I believe that's his name. Anyway, like a philosopher, uh, philosophical teacher. And, um, and one of the things that he said was quite brilliant. Sit with your pain. And then this is, of course, me remembering the conversation and remembering the lesson. So I might get this kind of a little off. So Mr. Cornfield, I am sorry if I mess this up on you. But my, the way I perceive it, what you had said, sits with me and makes sense. And here it goes. Sit with your stress. Breathe. Don't hold your breath. Close your eyes even. Sit with your stress. What is it that you're really stressed? Give it a, a form. In your mind, what I like to do then is give it some kind of shape. What shape is your stress? Oh, it's like virus shaped. It's a ball with spikes. <laughs> okay, great. Let's, let's work with that. What color is your shape? What color is this stress that you're feeling? Don't avoid it. Don't run from it. Don't have to answer what it is, but feel it and say, okay, what shape is it? What color is it? Does my fear have texture? Does my fear have smell? Can I taste my fear? Give it tangibility so that you're familiar with it. And here's why. Once you know the palette that you're working with, you can do something with it. But if it's an unknown, it's like you've got this secret ninja constantly stabbing you in the back because you don't know what it is, and you're not connected to it. You're not aware of it, but it's, it's causing action constantly in your life. Instead of that, flip it. 
get to know it intimately. Once you know it intimately, you'll be able to manipulate it. And the first manipulation I would suggest is what Mr. Cornfield suggested. Take the stress and put it somewhere, not somewhere where it'll disappear, but it'll have a place. And he suggested that inside of you, you have some sort of altar. So if you're a spiritual person, we can call it an altar. If you're not a spiritual person in any way whatsoever, let's just call it a box. Could be a big old paper box. Could be a big box with locks. Could be an, but if it is an altar, who, it's an altar to whom? You follow some sort of path that you connect with. Is it a godish, god-type altar? Buddha. Uh, you just decide what it is for you, what it looks like. Give that shape. Make that real for you inside of you. And then take that stress and just put it there. Now it's no longer in you, permeating you, constantly stabbing you in the back. You've identified at least a component of it. And that component you put to rest. It doesn't mean it doesn't come out every now and then. It doesn't mean it doesn't jump off the altar and start expanding into life again. It just means it has a place to go so it doesn't cause you strife every time you go to make a decision. Every time you go to have an interaction, you are not operating from that stress because it's not at the front of your mind. It's not at the forefront of your existence. It's now sitting inside somewhere special where it has a place that you can access at any time that you want. Don't worry, it won't go away. Yeah, because some people wouldn't would have a connection to it. You get it? Like, like, I don't know how many people out there feel this. Um, everyone is freaked out around you, but you're not that freaked out. Now, um, you could be avoiding it, which I have a tendency to do sometimes, and, I'm, and I watch that within me. And sometimes by me taking action on it, I can, I can quickly interject it. Sometimes I need to be kind of prodded, poked, to take action on my avoiding tendencies. But here we're not avoiding it. We're just putting it somewhere and observing it because we took the time to feel it completely. What does it really feel like? But we don't allow it to consume us. It's got a space. It's got a place. It deserves to live right there. Actually, right now, that stress is serving me. It will serve me in some way. We could always ask, what's the gift about having this stress? Now, once it's there, you have access to it all the time. Put it in the box. Lock the box a little bit. Maybe it'll seep out. It'll get stimulated by the people around you. But how many people, as I was saying before, feel like maybe I'm not as stressed. Maybe I need to match your stress. Otherwise, if I don't match your stress, then you and I are no longer alike. And then thereby, if I'm not like you and you're not like me, well, then I won't get love from you or you won't like me and so on and so forth. So in the act of wanting to be loved and liked, then you manifest stress so that you can be like your peers around you. Well, just be careful of what you're doing and why you're stressing. Because you can be the one that's, that takes a more proactive move. I'm not saying don't be inactive. I'm not saying avoid the stress. I'm saying own it. Find out what it is. Give it shape. Give it color. Oh, I have that stress. It's blue and round with spikes. 
and it smells like poop. Well, at least you have a way to connect with it. Then put it away somewhere. You have access to it to give you power because that fear that you're feeling, the stress that, the, that is being created by this object, by this sensation, by this emotional barrage, right, has energy to it. Worry's got no energy whatsoever. Worry is like an energy draw, like a vacuum. It sucks it out of you. Fear, however, is like somebody took the doors off of, of a nuclear reactor and energy is shooting out. It's just how do you utilize it to take right action? How do you utilize it to take action and rather than allowing it to cripple you? Because the energy will come out so strong and it will bowl many people over. Will cripple them into inaction. So, just be honest with it. The situation is real. Look at what we're dealing with right now with the COVID nineteen. It's real. It's actually happening. You could argue conspiracy theory. You could argue it was a weapon of war. You could argue that it's not as bad as it thinks. You could argue that it's no worse than the common. You can argue all those points. And. Schools are still closed. You're still stuck at home. There's no toilet paper on the shelves. There's no meat in the rest the, in, in the in the um in the supermarkets. You can't go to a restaurant. You can't see your friends. You can't go out to group meetings. All your stuff is canceled, and you're not at work. But it's a comp- conspiracy theory. Doesn't matter. It's still happening. So it is very very real, even if you think it's not, because the result of which, even if it was fake and false. It's still real outcomes. So you still got to deal with it. Don't allow it to cripple you. You could be the avoider and say, no, nah, it's not real. It's not me. It's not impacting me, but it will. Especially if you're not prepared. So take right action. Connect with your fear. That's what you can do. Connect with the stress. Give it shape, form, function. Work through the fear setting exercise. Understand it. Get it out of your head. Put it on a piece of paper. You can revisit your fear exercise and adjust what you've written, or you can crumple it up and throw it away when you're done. Or you can put it into a draw and let it go. Find it a year later and have a great laugh. Whatever you like to do with it. One important thing is it's out of your head. It doesn't mean you lose it. doesn't mean you disconnect with it. doesn't mean you avoid it. doesn't mean that you're not a realist. It just means you have a method for dealing with what's happening inside of you. That's my advice. And I'll give you one more piece of advice. There are tools to dealing with stress. Uh, I would not recommend using um, easy tools, especially all the time. Alcohol, drugs, addictions. Try not to. Have a glass of wine. De-stresses you. Cool. Take right action. So there are some things that you can do, things that we know that work, and you still have access to them. You just have to put yourself into a, a mode of taking action, which means all the excuses come up. You know, I can do, uh, I, I can work with uh, Dr. John in one of his online yoga classes. Cool. Just grab, jump into the portal, pop a class on. You don't even need a yoga mat. You just need a, a little bit of floor space and just follow the video. Listen, watch, and move. It's amazing what will change after you move your body. Do 50 push-ups. Go into the portal, look up a breathing exercise. You don't even have to do yoga. It could take you two minutes. 
do this breathing exercise. At the end of the two minutes, you will feel different. Your brain will work different. Your biology will be different. Your neurology will be different. There's meditation courses you can do. It doesn't have to be mine. It could be anybody's. There's meditation apps on your phone. Earbuds, phone on, close the lights just before bed, hit the app, and away you go. Some great ones. Um, so there's lots of options but, and a lot of tools. You just have to utilize them. So some of the tools that I'll suggest would be meditation, exercise, breathing. Um, yeah, if you have the money, you can get somebody to talk to, coaching. Now that helps because when you only see what you see, you only know what you know. I only know what I know. I don't know what I don't know. You don't know what you don't know. That's why we have other people, relationships with other people, because what they know then comes into our lives, and then we both know something. They see what's happening with you, what's happening inside your box. I remember a story, uh, and I hope I get this right, John Gray, the author of Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Great book, by the way. I didn't think I would like that book. I had to age a little bit to enjoy that book. Um, but uh, and, and I hope I get the story right. You can fact check me on the story if you read the book. I don't want to have a spoiler alert on this, but I'll tell you the story anyway. Uh, I'll give you the short version. John Gray's dad dies. He was mugged and uh, thrown in the trunk of his car. And he dies of asphyxiation. John Gray, the author of this book, this, this is before he wrote the book, decides that in order for him to heal past this experience, he um, needs to experience what his dad experienced. So he's equal man of equal stature, um, has his brother with him. John climbs into the truck some period after the incident, gets into the trunk, closes the trunk. He can see all the areas, the scratch marks that he made with a little screwdriver, the torn bits inside the trunk, the hole that was punched through in the light, the tail light. And he's in this, I don't know for how long, but can you imagine being in this confined space after such a, an amazing uh, and horrible, horrific, you know, tragedy that occurred and onboarding all the emotional um, content that is like flowing through. And um, he reaches his hand through the tail light. And his brother's standing outside. His brother says to him, hey, John, do you think you could wrap your arm, reach a little bit further and wrap your arm around to the center of the car? Gives it a go, wiggles a little bit, gets in there. Do you think you could reach just a little bit further and push on the trunk? And he pushes around, and he feels there's a little button. He pushes the button, and the trunk pops open. So the lesson, the moral, is, is that it's really difficult to see outside of your own little box. Sometimes you need the help of other people to view your special box from the outside. People you trust, people who are trustworthy, people who understand what it's like to be looking at someone else's box, what it's like to, for people to experience what's inside theirs, and to have those people available to you to give you feedback on what your box is like and how you're experiencing it. How are you experiencing your world from another perspective? And I think that might be a benefit. So how do you deal with stress? Those techniques could be 
of benefit to you. But I urge you to do something. I urge you to take action. I urge you to do anything instead of nothing. Okay, let's move on. Sip. If you're watching the video, uh, my little drink here is a uh, just water and uh, cordyceps mushrooms. By the way, this cordyceps thing is fantastic. A little shout out to Four Sigmatic, um, who will make you this amazing mushroom elixir. It comes in a fantastic little pack, and it's freeze-dried, and they don't pay me a cent to say any of that. But I found that by drinking this one, it gives me a little bit of energy. Not like caffeine-type energy, just I feel energized. It's amazing. Okay. When trying to... Uh, oh, yeah. Okay, right. This was a... This was a conversation that I was having with somebody, and I thought this was an important point, and I'll make this my, my last point. In, in this conversation, we were talking about the quality of questions. We were asking each other questions, and I wrote down these notes. Uh, when trying to adapt, ask yourself questions. In asking questions, you might be able to discover answers that you didn't know existed. I remember we talked about this as in, in terms of being the sage power of innovator to create what already isn't there and um and we talked about the quality of the questions and by increasing the quality of the questions you're going to get better quality answers and your better quality answers will definitely lead you to activity and not inaction and um and one of the things that uh, i wrote this down for is because i pulled pulled my kids out of school for now i mean i thought to myself what are we waiting for i'm in australia I already know what happened in America. Um, we're a little bit behind because we have a smaller population, but the likelihood of like infection rate for COVID is going to amplify. And in that amplification, what am I waiting for? Am I waiting for to not to t to for them to get sick or someone that's their friends with to get sick and put them at risk? Because it's high risk. The reason why that the, they're not closing the school has nothing to do with the safety of our children. I think that's brilliant. They even said it. They're afraid to close the schools because they're afraid of what will happen to the economy. Not because of your children's health. I thought, screw the economy. I'm taking my kids out of school. You can deal with your own economy issues. I will find ways to adapt. In the meantime, I want my kids healthy, happy, alive. Why should they suffer? Why should they have onboard the issues because you're afraid to make a real decision when we plainly see in another country that the schools had to close to prevent this, the transmission of this disease. Just gets you thinking a little bit. So I thought to myself, while my children are home and not in school, what are five things I can do to teach them? I thought to myself, well, I said, I need to go to get a homeschooling kit. I need to, to do, you know, does the school supply some? Well, the school's not going to supply any supplies anything that'd be too much work they're already worried about their own little work so it's not the school i'm going to have to do it i could do nothing and say you're on an extended vacation or we have to do something so i, I jotted down i wrote down four blank sp spaces and i wanted to, i thought what are five things right so the first thing i wrote was i could teach my children how to grow 
in the atmosphere of adversity. That's what's happening. How I react to things, how, how my wife does, how our family. Um, we shut down five yoga studios in America. This is adversity. People are suffering. Our friends, our family, our neighbors, people we don't know. And our whole business is leveraged on finding ways to add value back to other people's lives, and it tears us apart. Not necessarily because of the business part. It's because we feel like, oh, I've got, do I have nothing? I don't have that tool anymore to add value the way that I was added to value. So I'm going to teach them how to grow in adversity. I am going to teach them how to adapt and discover new tools to serve. Second thing I can teach them is how to handle stress. Now, they don't feel what we're feeling, but I can explain to them what it is that we're feeling, and I can show them in, the how, in terms of how they experience stress. For me, I get stressed out when I've got a pile of bills and they're not getting paid. You can see that. You guys could feel that. For a child, they get stressed out when mom and dad doesn't give them a jelly donut. And we think it's silly. Kid, it's a jelly donut. Why are you stressed? However, they feel stress at the same level the parent feels that can't pay the 10 bills that are sitting on their desk. That children or that child feels the same way about their jelly donut. The level of stress is the same. So I could teach them how to handle stress. I want in the same token, I could also teach them how not to handle stress. So making them aware of not what they're doing, but what other people might be doing. Or when I'm not in right action, because i got to tell you, I'm not perfect. Now, I learn because I make mistakes. The consequence of learning is making mistakes. If you're not making mistakes, generally, you're not learning much. So you have to make errors, and that is a natural consequence of the process of learning and growing. So here's how not to handle stress. Hey, you see how I kind of freaked out before? That sometimes happens, and when that happens, you just have to think, hmm, there was probably a better way. Did I have to freak out? And just explain that situa situ situation to them depending on the age of the child, they'll probably get it. Fourth thing was um, I could teach them how to educate themselves by helping them discover what it is that they love. So you're going to say they love to sit on the iPad. <laughs> and one of my children does. You might say they love to watch Netflix. And the other child does. Uh, you might say they love to do nothing and lounge around. And, yeah, one of my children does. But they do love other stuff. And it's the parent's responsibility. You put that responsibility out there when you took on the responsibility of raising a child to help them discover what it is that they love. And you might think to yourself, I don't even know what I love. That's okay. You'll learn something in your selfless act of helping your child find out what it is that they love. And I gotta tell you something, I haven't written down number five. But in thinking about number five, I wanna be a bit of a realist, and in my realistic thinking, I'm gonna say five and six. I only wrote down five, but I'm gonna give six. I can contact the school and find out what kind of online content they will provide me to support my decision. 
I think that's a great, that's called leverage. I'm going to leverage that to someone else and make them do the work. And, um, and the number six is, is um, maybe we cannot count on them to do anything. Maybe they just don't care or they're snowed under with their other concerns. Maybe they haven't asked the questions correctly and don't have an avenue. Maybe they don't really want to. I don't know. We don't have the answer to that until they talk to us. So number six would be I could source online content. I could source online content. And I could source free content. I could source paid content. I could, I could ask more questions about that and say, what are three things I can do with the source content? I can Google free stuff. I can Google paid courses. I can turn around and ask peers, friends of mine that homeschool. What do you use? They might have already paid for the content and will share it with me in a PDF or a Dropbox or something like that. Because I would have. And that's just a natural, that's how I, I like to run things. And I'm sure you would have too. Well, this kind of wraps it up, folks. Um, I want to take this time to thank our sponsors. We are, you know, everything's got to run on something, right? And and this moment, this is being run on my businesses. Although that they're temporarily suspended in America, Fire Shaper, my hot yoga studios, these are hot yoga studios that help people learn more about themselves. Um, do we sit down in a classroom and give them self-lessons? No, but we sit in a classroom and we make them do the work we sweat, they work hard, and they find themselves. So we do that at Fireshaper. Check that out, fireshaper.com. And, um, and I got to tell you, a shout out to all my patients and all my clients, my patients for my chiropractic work, my body work, all my clients for my personal coaching, my one-on-one -on -one sessions. I'm going to give you a shout out, guys. Without you wanting to live a better life, without you wanting to find higher experiences, without you wanting to be and amplify the way that you are living life, this couldn't be delivered to you. Where would the funds come from? Where would the time come from? Where would the passion come from? I'm going to shout out to you guys because without you all making that happen, without you all making the choice to live better for yourself and choosing me to help you in that process, I would be able to choose this. So I want to thank you very much for that. And um, yeah, until next time, everyone, have a blessed day.